Today's episode of Quality Control is brought to you by lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A.com. It's an online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. You can get a 10-day free trial by visiting lynda.com slash quality control. That's L-Y-N-D-A.com slash quality control. Linda is for problem solvers, for the curious, for people who want to make things happen. They got a ton of great classes like iOS 8, SDK new features, agile at work, designing data visualization. I know what all those things are. I don't, but I would if I had gone to lynda.com slash quality control for a free 10-day trial. That is lynda.com slash quality control. My guest today is Arthur Geese here to discuss his review of The Witcher 3. My name is Justin McElroy, and you're listening to Polygon's Quality Control. Arthur, welcome back to the program. Hi, Justin. What a pleasure it is to have you. Thanks for having me back. Uh, This is a massive game, The Witcher 3. It's a big, big game. I was wondering if you could talk to me a little bit about timing, like how long you had to do the review and and sort of what your approach was, because we heard that the game could be anywhere from like 25 to 200 hours. So Uh, how how did you manage that? Well, the timing was butts. Justin, um, well, is that a is that a technolo- a, a, a term of art? Is that an official reviewer bit of uh, nomenclature? I'm not I'm not familiar. It's a colloquialism, I think. Sure. Um, so with a game like this, ideally we would get it a few weeks in advance, uh, which I think that you've experienced previously when you reviewed Skyrim. Uh, we, we I think we had a decent amount of time with that game before you had to write a review of it, but you still really had to crank on that game to get it finished. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with The Witcher, we got it, I think, the Friday, not the Friday before embargo, but the Friday before the Friday before embargo. So I think about nine days total mm-hmm. uh, before the published deadline that we were given to uh, to run with the review. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were provided it on a debug PlayStation 4, which is a console that runs non-final code uh, for PlayStation 4 games. And uh, due to some technical issues with our debug, we actually, I wasn't able to start my review until the following Monday. Wow. So uh, seven days before our deadline, essentially, for that game, uh, I was starting the game. So off to a bad start uh, uh-huh. to begin with. And uh, to be totally honest, we didn't hit embargo on this game because it yeah, is... Yeah, I noticed a lot of other outlets did. Did you just kind of drop the ball, or where does the blame for that really lie? Wow. Well, I guess me. If, I guess you, if, uh, if you think I about guess. it. Um, I think it's a few things. First, it's not me. No, no, it's not you. It's got to be you. Generally, I think you're blameless. <laughs> me things. too. I um, agree. I think that uh, it's a combination of factors. First, the fact that we didn't have a functional debug until the following Monday kind of screwed me a little bit. But not, I mean, I can't really lay all the blame on that. Uh, I also, I felt that a game like this I needed not to be completionist, but to try to pursue as many of the plot-related side quests as possible. Because it's not just that there are there are plenty of, of things to do of stuff with quotation marks around it, uh, because it's an open world game, but the, the main 
through line of the game has a lot of little branches that that shoot off of it that can lead back to the the primary narrative uh think the loyalty missions in mass effect 2 as an example um Mm -hmm. i think that if you were reviewing mass effect 2 and didn't do the loyalty missions you would be doing a disservice to the sort of game's potential story yeah and and the witcher i think really strong comparisons could actually be made to the witcher 3 uh, with Mass Effect 2 in the way that there are a lot of side characters for whom you can do tasks that will play into the way later parts of the game unfold. Oh, um, cool. I didn't know that, actually. That's neat. Yeah, so so I wanted to do those things, but they take time. Mm-hmm. They take a lot of time. Uh, my final playtime on the, on the Witcher 3 was about 73 hours. Uh, wow. So, yeah, that was a lot of Witcher. Uh, and also... I, I had another coverage obligation to uh, to go to a, a event this Saturday between when we got it and when the publish date was. So that killed a full day of my uh, playtime. It's interesting, though, because the, the balance you're striking is, is, is weird because I think most people playing will have to kind of strike a similar balance for themselves. Like, sure. I had to start I'm, – I'm playing sort of in my free time, and I – got to a point where in the first area you you know i wanted to make sure i unearth all the question marks mm-hmm. and then by the second area i kind of realized like okay those aren't incredibly interesting to me and i i'll probably like continue to grab ones when i pass them but mm-hmm. like i i was making some of those same value judgments but it was more about like what i enjoyed versus you know what i needed to review as a reviewer i was kind of relieved to find that the question marks on the map really aren't especially important to go exploring for uh you'll pass by a lot of them on your way to other things and i think the most relevant stuff that you'll find at those question marks are maps to find armor and weapon schematics that you can then craft later uh and there's some there's some interesting sort of emergent environmental storytelling that happens at some of those things well i would see i would argue though the reason i'm having a trouble writing them off entirely is because some of them are powerpoints which are like Right. Those are experience points uh, that you get to add levels. But uh, I think you you end up finding a lot of those on your way to main Mm -hmm. story quests. Um, So what? What? I I, uh, played Witcher 2 Uh uh, at, uh, uh, you know, would have been a little bit after release. I feel like it was like two summers ago, summer before last, maybe if that sounds right. Uh, that game came out in 2011. Okay. So probably the summer before last, I didn't play it right after release. It was, it right. was a little bit afterwards, but, um, I, I, there's an option to simulate your save, which I guess you kind of have to do if you're playing on console because yes. this isn't cross platform. Um, I, is it wrong that I didn't remember anything they were talking no. about? I didn't remember a goddamned thing. The way it works uh, is you answer questions about like major events from The Witcher 2. Yeah. I had no memory of any of it. I actually opened up a Wikipedia page or yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the Witcher th- Witcher wiki to try to go back and review what I had done. But the one of the sort of failings of The Witcher 2, and I think Witcher 3 actually sort of ameliorates us somewhat, is that so much of the story was just this litany of names and places that are like just made up moon language kind of crap that is really, really difficult to keep track of. And mm-hmm. even while playing it is kind of difficult to keep track of. To say nothing of 
I think the three-year gap between when I played The Witcher 2 on Xbox 360 for review and now. Even trying to use a wiki to figure out what I have done, what I had done in every step of the way and that sort of remembrance thing, I just could not remember. And so I tried to answer as best I could, but... There's a... There's actually a pretty good piece on Polygon that I read to uh, to catch myself up on it, not to promote <laughs> Polygon.com. We would never dream of it. But it's a good, it's a pretty good uh, catch up. But I, yeah, I have thought it was easier to, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not the best at remembering stuff from video games anyway, uh, by and large. Um, but uh, I, I have a question about, you mentioned some of the uh, side quests um, starting to get a little old towards the... Um, towards the middle of the game familiar I, yeah yeah i i by and large have liked them but do you feel like there was a, you didn't mention this in the review but do you feel like there was an over reliance on have like combing a scene for clues with witcher sense that got old for me super quick and there's a ton of it i really did and and i think that the problem is that there's no there's no mechanic there other than holding the left trigger on whatever platform you're playing on and looking for the red thing Right. Uh, and and I, I was disappointed by that in part because near the beginning of the game in the first sort of monster contract, the story guides you to, it really felt like there was potential there for something more interesting, for for real investigation and for non for honestly for nonviolent means of, of resolving these monster issues, and that's never the case. Uh, the monster quests and a lot of the other stuff you do is just find the red thing, follow the red th- things until you get to a point, kill something, and then you're done. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, it gets kind of repetitive when you roll into hour 25 or 30 of doing that. Uh, there have been some really uh, some really appreciated uh, changes to The Witcher from 2 just to make it like, I feel like 2 is a big jump in terms of accessibility, and I feel like 3 is maybe an even bigger jump uh first off and the one that i like the best and you mentioned this in the review you don't have to choose which sword to use because you uh the, you have a silver sword for monsters and a and a steel sword for uh non monsters mm-hmm. i guess and yeah. uh he just pulls out the right one and Man, I think that's nice i i feel like he may have done that in the witcher 2 but you fight significantly more often in the witcher 3 and mm-hmm. And honestly, a fight can be starting in The Witcher 3 before you even know it's happening. So yeah, to right. see him pull out the right sword is a pretty valuable little little thing. And it it just suggests that Geralt knows what he's doing, which is a sort of nice bit of contextual lore. Speaking of, though, I do have one question. That I get why silver swords are better for monsters. I completely get that. But why are human like why would a human being have to shrug off a silver sword? I don't get why he can't just have one silver sword. I I, I assume that they would respond to a silver sword in much the same way they would respond to a steel sword or any sword, which is like, ow, you cut me in half, right? In my experience in the game, just speaking in the game, uh, the silver so- silver swords wear down much more quickly than oh, the irons than the okay. steel swords okay. do. Uh, so they, I buy that. They do a lot more damage to to monsters i assume because there's a supernatural sort of element to what silver does to enemies and so it's like poison to them whereas steel will hold its edge etc etc i i hate falling down a war hole for any game though that, that makes sense i would i would actually buy that um yeah. 
Did you have any any issues with the uh, sort of interface and inventory management on console? I hear it's a little better on PC, but uh, did that cause you any headaches? I think the interface management, the the inventory management in this game is garbage. <laughs> it's terrible. It's really uh, bad, right? You get just hundreds of pieces of crap, and you never know if you're going to need it for something, and and it weighs you down. You have a limited amount of carrying capacity, and it's. It's evocative of something like Fallout or Skyrim, but in a way I think it's much worse. The management of it is much worse. You get so much more different crap. Do you have any and advice for like what crap to hold on to, what crap to, crap to disabuse yourself of? I, I think that eventually you can stop picking up every little thing because if you need something for alchemy or for crafting, it's faster just to go to a merchant and try to buy those components. Mm-hmm. Like You don't need to carry around every white shirt you find to build armor. Because the armorer will probably be selling white shirts. And eventually you get so much money that it doesn't seem like a hardship to have to spend 20 orin or whatever to buy one. Uh, we've talked a lot about uh, some of the negative stuff, but I want so I want to circle back to some of the positives. Namely, uh, I, and, and I'm hoping you can uh, expand on this a little bit, but I have been so impressed by how often I'll come across something that is that's seemingly pretty random. I mean, maybe it's just like literally something I stumble across in, in the game that actually turns into like a very compelling, very um, sort of like concise bit of storytelling that like just works really well as like a little moment in the game that I could have very easily missed. And it makes it feel really like unique to my specific playthrough. Did, did you get that sense of your plan? Um, I don't know that I saw things that felt unique to my playthrough so much as it just felt like there was a lot of small things feel like they have import. Like there is importance given to them by virtue of the presentation around them. Like even small contracts, Geralt will often have a conversation with the people in question and there are dialogue options as opposed to him just saying something and leaving. And I think Mm -hmm. that even that sort of minimal amount of engagement is is a step ahead of a lot of open world sort of quest garbage that you find in other games and especially with contracts and assignments it just it helps lend Geralt a sense of competency at what he does which is something that I don't feel like The Witcher 2 did nearly as much like there's a lot of sort of day in the life of Geralt the Witcher in The Witcher 3 that wasn't present in the last mm-hmm. game and I think that from a narrative and storytelling perspective, it builds him as a character in ways that the last game didn't. It, it actually, they also do a really smart thing where they highlight the fact that e- almost everybody in the world is bringing baggage to yeah. what they think a Witcher is. So sure. it's almost like a shorthand of like you, their relationship to you doesn't have to be walked through start to finish every time. They are coming with some preconceived notions about like who you are based on your identity. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you get called a mutant and a freak and I, and some people are into it though. Some people yeah. like, you know, some people got saved by a witcher once or some people like understand that like, Oh, I have to pay you for your services or whatever. Yeah. Nobody really argues about the, you demanding money for everything. Part. Which, which I love because I'm always the guy in the game that like, if they give me the option to say like, you know, I don't need your coin. I'm just doing it for the love of the game. Like, yeah. I'm always the guy who's like taking that option, but it's really nice to know that like he has a code. So like I'm playing in character by saying like, no, you're going to give me something. And it does sort of introduce the idea that there's this sort of rigid system of cast and expectations. And there's a line, uh, 
that is repeated multiple times throughout the game in various situations, and I think it's an oath once given, uh, is is the sort of like honor code that dominates the world that everyone adheres to, like it's some kind of weird watered down bushido. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think again that just helps build a sense of the world that you're in in a way that the last game d- didn't really have the space to. I uh, got some questions from from uh, listeners here. Uh, first one's from Brett. It says, how accessible is The Witcher 3 to new players? Having been a fan of RPGs for years, I seem to have just let the series slip by, and I'm wondering if this is a good jumping on point. Uh, I think that it does a pretty decent job of explaining the world uh, and easing you in that way. And to be totally honest, The Witcher 2 story was often so unintelligible that I played that game and don't necessarily feel like it helped me ease into The Witcher 3. Mm-hmm. To add to which, there was an amnesia plotline <laughs> in The Witcher 2. And so I, I really feel like you might actually do better going in clean to this one because there are a lot of unresolved questions that it only pause at from the second game. Yeah. Uh, mechanically, I think it's a much more accessible game. Uh one legend says Shadow of Mordor was one of my favorite third-person action games the last decade. How does The Witcher 3 hold up in comparison to that? They seem to occupy similar spaces in the genre. Uh, I think that Shadow of Mordor was going for much more of a Batman in an open world kind of vibe right. uh, than this is. This is much more... I, I think it lends more towards the Skyrim school of open world Uh Combat is still more sophisticated than a lot of other open world games, but it is considerably simplified from the last right. game. And I think sometimes to its detriment, to the point where combat feels a little uh, light. I've been surprised how many situations, uh, by which I mean almost all of them, on the basic difficulty you can get through by rolling around and whacking guys with your sword ad nauseum you never get tired so like yeah just whacking guys with your sword and then throwing some fire around to buy yourself some space and i think over time like you'll start to use the other signs i think uh the trap spell is absolutely necessary for fighting specters and ghosts Mm -hmm. and later on when you fight enemies that are in the air the telekinesis spell is is absolutely critical to knock them out of the sky um and so I do think that there's an interesting sort of emergence uh, sense of experimentation that can happen, but mm-hmm. the moment-to-moment combat is is much simpler and, and sort of disappointingly so than the last game because, like you mentioned, you never get tired. You can swing your sword forever in The Witcher 3. And, and it's funny because uh, uh, guys using shields do get tired. So yes. like you can, you're going to win that uh, one-on-one. You're going to win that fight. Because he I, is going to get tired and drop his shield. And later on, positioning becomes important, and people with shields and who block with their swords can can stun you and open you up for death. My my only, but the only time I really had trouble with The Witcher is when the difficulty would spike out of nowhere, and it was kind of an unpleasant surprise when I would be killed so suddenly because the game does kind of a crap job of explaining that you can die quickly because mm-hmm. it happens so rarely. But then it'll uh, happen over and over again. Last question from Todd. Arthur, do you feel like the game drags on too much, that there's an overwhelming amount of content? I love when a game's meaty, but I'm slowly starting to feel like the Wild Hunt is longer than it needs to be. Uh, I I know that's a that's such a, you know, it, it's your mileage may vary in the purest sense, but 
I think broadly that speaking, it, I I need to be careful with how I answer this because as a reviewer, there were definitely times where I was frustrated by how long it was going, and that has nothing to do with the quality of the game or or that statement doesn't necessarily have anything to do with it so much as I kept thinking I was at the end and then it wouldn't end. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it really wants to have these epic sort of moments, but the epicness of the, these concluding seeming moments are undercut by the game's sort of refusal to end. <laughs> uh, and and it, it's really deflating when you have like this epic battle and then it's just like, well, back to the grind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the way that the game ends and goes back into itself because they promised that you could pick the game up where you left off is pretty unsatisfying because it rolls back to before the final point of no return closes off any narrative missions and just lets you go into the world. And I feel like sort of denying any sense of global consequence from what you did in this game is really at odds with the rest of the game where it tries to really make you feel like you're, you're playing a part in these very intense political dramas that are, that are spread throughout the land. Um, so I, I don't know that I would say it's too long. It's not about length. It's about the way that it resolves itself or doesn't. Uh, Arthur, thank you so much for your time. also want to say a big thank you to lynda.com. Again, the online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses. It can help you strengthen your business technology and creative skills. You can get a free 10-day trial by going to lynda.com slash quality control. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash quality control. they got top experts who are passionate about teaching, and you can stream thousands of video courses on demand and learn on your own schedule. Remember, whether you want to be an expert, uh, you're passionate about a hobby, or just want to learn something new, uh, I want you to go to lynda.com slash quality control and sign up for a free 10-day trial. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash quality control. Arthur, so much. thank you so much for joining me. I sure appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. And uh, I am Justin McRoy. That's going to do it for us. I want to ask you to go to polygon.com if you want more Witcher stuff. There's there's a blue million articles about it, so you can go read more, watch videos, the whole kit and caboodle, uh, or uh, check some out on our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash quality control. That is going to do it for us. Until the next time, we've got a game to talk about. I'm Justin McRoy, and thank you for listening to Polygon's Quality Control. Quality Control.